Okay, we'd like to welcome you to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for December 23rd, 2007. And um, this is going to be entitled, The Surprising Origin of the Custom of Celebrating Birthdays. And this is definitely going to probably rub a lot of people the wrong way, this particular teaching. I can't really take credit. The man that put this out is a guy named William F. Dankenbring. And uh, this starts out by asking the question, where did the universal custom of celebrating the day of one's birth originate? What about birthday parties, cakes, and candles? What does the Bible say about celebrating the day of one's birth? You might be shocked at the answer. And um, this is something I've had people make comments about over the years. And finally, I, I figured, well, I need to do a teaching on this. We've done teachings on Ishtar or Easter and um, Saturnalia, which is commonly known as Xmas or Christmas in today's day and age. Uh, the, the big thing they're saying now, I've heard, on the media, the, the really politically th correct thing to say is Happy Winter Solstice. <laughs> Which is actually, oh yes, they are saying it all, they're saying all that. I mean, they're, the big thing's Happy Holidays. And these people, like there was this one show I saw the other day where they were in this big argument in this condo association about whether we should have the nativity scene or the menorah. And it was this two factions within this condo association fighting for their faith. And, the, and the, some people say, well, yeah, they're trying to shove it down our throats and, and all this other stuff. And the Christians were supposedly defending the nativity scene. They're defending their right to put out their, their nativity scene, which really Catholic Church brought us, to defend their right... And acting as though they're such good stalwart defenders of the faith Christians, because they're defending Christ and all this other stuff. When that whole celebration stemmed from the debauchery of the, the celebration of Saturnalia, which was essentially the celebration of the birth of the sun god, Tammuz, which is where we get Christmas. And the winter solstice and Yule and all these things are associated with this pagan celebration. And we're going to see here, with birthdays, it's really not a whole lot different. Okay? And, um, again, this is where the Bible talks about, you know, that you can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that, you know, we want to be very, very cautious about what knowledge we reject, or what truth we reject, because um, the Bible goes on to say that, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be a priest to me no more, and I will also reject your children. So, we want to really um, be careful what knowledge we're rejecting. Uh, the Bible says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. Okay, so we want to make sure we're not rejecting a matter before we've actually heard it out. So if we go further with this, and I'll provide a link that you can go right into this. <clears throat> this uh, the nice thing about this, the guy used the King James Bible the whole way through, and there really wasn't a whole lot that I that I read in here that I disagree with, which is pretty rare. Um, but he, he really did a great job. 1 Corinthians one twenty nine says, <clears throat> that no flesh should glory in his presence. And if you think about it, that's what birthdays really are. They're about flesh glorying in God's presence. Now, I'm not saying we're overtly trying to do something to make God mad, but if that's the effect it has on God, that's all that really matters. And then Romans 8.8 8 says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Isn't that what birthdays are all about? Being in the flesh, me, me, self. Isn't that what it's all about? Well, again, trust me, this is just the tip of the iceberg on this study. Almost everybody today celebrates birthdays around the world. Friends and relatives hold birthday parties, give gifts to the one being honored, and wish happy birthday to the one whose birthday is being celebrated. But why? Where did this universal custom originate? Do you know the answer? Through, though you look in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will find no mention anywhere of any of the saints of God observing their birthdays. That's a pretty good indicator that it's not something we need to really want to mess with. If it was important to the Lord, don't you think He would have mentioned it? In fact, Strange as it may seem to many, even the exact date of the birth of Jesus Christ is revealed nowhere in Scripture. And I, and I agree, that's to avoid this, this thing where we celebrate 
this particular day of the birth, because then it turns into a, a big idolatry fest, which is essentially what we have at Xmas right now. We have the pagan Christmas trees and the ornaments. We have the, the Xmas Christmas wreaths. Do you know what a Christmas wreath stands for in paganism? The circle of life, but more specifically, the female um, sexual organ. That's what the wreath stands for. In paganism, in the Christmas... See, they know this. People in witchcraft know this. And then when you put candles around the wreath, that's symbolic of the male phallus symbol, uh, uh, symbol and their union. Did you know that? I, in fact, this is one of the, the uh, reasons I ended up, uh, ended up finally leaving the church that I was at originally, the, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, because they insisted on hanging up these wreaths every Christmas. And I gave them the actual pagan origin of this, okay, which... <clears throat> you know, predates Christ, uh, um, any Christianized Christianizing of this event, and they didn't want to hear it. You know, let us have our wreaths, come on, we don't have a Christmas tree up, at least let us have our wreaths, or whatever. Celebrate the birth of Christ. Christ couldn't have been born in December. Okay, if you even read the Bible and do some, some cursory studies, most likely he was probably born somewhere around either the end of September to October in that particular time range, okay? That's a whole other study. But that is not something... Of all times of the year, this is most likely the time that he wasn't born. And we shouldn't be elevating this day, which all it is is repackaged sun worship. Or, or worship of the sun god, I should say, Tammuz. Okay, and again, please, if you have any doubts on that... Listen to my teaching that we did on Christmas. We cover all this point by point by point. Okay, so, the universal custom of observing Christmas as the birth of Christ on December 25th is acknowledged by all the historical, historical authorities as having no basis of actual fact. Jesus Christ was born nowhere near December 25th in the dead of winter. Okay? Here's another thing about Xmas. If the whole world is doing it, and embracing it, and loving it, and totally comfortable doing it, do you think that might throw up a slight red flag to you as a Christian? You're, when you participate in Xmas and Christmas, and I didn't really mean to turn this into a thing on Xmas, but when you participate that, don't you realize that you're arm in arm in lockstep with every other heathen and pagan out there? Not to say that I think we're better I'm just saying, you're, you're in that same boat. You have total common ground on that time of year. You could go to their house and have their Christmas tree. Most Christians would come into a house and see the Christmas tree and, and be totally unoffended. Totally unoffended. Think it's great. Think they're actually, you know, hey, they're, they're, they're celebrating the birth of Christ. You know, I mean, they're, maybe there is hope for them. And these Christians that go out of their way, these supposed Christians that go out of their way to act like they're so great because they're defending nativity scenes and the fact that we should be able to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays and all this other stuff, it's sickening. It's stinking sickening. Like, like they think they're doing God's service, defending some pagan holiday. When we're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers and that we're not to learn the way of the heathen. Well, it doesn't matter, because Jesus is the reason for the season. No, he's not. Tammuz, the sun god, is the reason for the season. It's called Saturnalia. It's absolutely, totally steeped in witchcraft. It is one of the highest satanic holidays that there are. Period. That's, that's the way it goes. It's the, highest, it's the highest elevated pagan holiday that there is. Halloween's a lot more overt. But Xmas isn't. It's more subtle. And wasn't Satan the most subtle beast of the field? He loves Xmas. Just loves it. You got your Satan claws and all these other things. Got all the, the Xmas carols that you can sing. Make yourself feel all tingly inside. You're all yoked up with the pagans. All the debauchery that goes along with it. The giving of gifts and the presents and all this other stuff. It's an abomination. It really is. What's that? Yeah, Doug was just telling me um, 
that, you know, when he was in Africa, that, you know, you know, every place in Africa, they would have, the, you know, the Christmas trees up and these types of things. No mention of Christ or anything like that, which is really good. It's actually the proper way to do it. If you're going to be a pagan and celebrate this, why, why do you want to mingle, co-mingle Jesus Christ with this abomination? You'd be better off, I believe, in God's eyes just leaving it alone. Just call it the pagan holiday that it is. Don't, don't co-mingle Jesus Christ and give, make, make yourself think that that gives you a justification to celebrate this stuff. That's more of an abomination to God than the other. And then he said that, that it, what, you were in France? Oh, Africa, but the French, what? The French homes, they would, to celebrate Xmas, what they would do is they would have big wife-swapping parties. These are also people known as swingers. Okay, people that are involved in the Harley-Davidson movement are really, really big into this as well. Okay? And they would, uh, yeah, they would go and they'd swap wives and have one big merry time. And they'd still have their nativity scenes there. But do you realize that the essence of that holiday being Saturnalia, which is the, which celebrating the rebirth of the sun god Tammuz, which is where we talk about Nimrod and Semiramis and all this other stuff, that, that all of that, you know, stems from this. And, and that um, this was a time of absolute total debauchery in Roman times, Saturnalia, wife swapping. They would even, they would basically suspend all laws. It was okay to have sex with little kids too, back in Roman times when it got really nasty bad. So realize when you celebrate Xmas, the, the wonderful heritage that you have in celebrating that. So I'm, I'm sorry, I get really mad about this whole subject. Um, because I think it's an affront to the Lord. Does, it think, does, it, do I, does that mean I think I'm better than you? No, it doesn't. If I got what I deserved, I'd get hell. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that my family doesn't pressure me in this every single year. To this day. But I've totally divested myself of this now. I don't want any presents. I don't want to go to any family gatherings. Nothing. I don't want any participation in this at all. Okay? Well, you're shoving your religion down. No, I'm not. You're shoving your pagan holidays down my throat. That's what it really boils down to. Well, you never it never bothered you when you were a little kid. You didn't seem to turn out the worst for the wear. I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. So, sorry about that little rabbit trail. I'm sure that's going to endear me to a lot of people. But am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 And please, I, like I said, if you want the documentation, click into my, my Xmas sermon or email me. I'll email it to you. And I'll give you the documentation. It's more than you probably want to read. Okay? And the, you know the, the main documentation that I think is the most... Uh, confirmatory, is the fact that the pagans have no problem confirming any of this. They're really the experts on this subject, because we've taken from their religion, which is essentially witchcraft, and we've adopted their celebrations to our Christianized pagan holidays, or holy days. We're the ones that have done that. We've taken from their religion. This is going to be no big shake when the Antichrist comes to power because he says that in his hand he will cause craft to prosper. Witchcraft. These are essentially pagan witchcraft type holidays that have been have this Christian veneer put on them. In fact, one of the books that I quote from where there's a witch in there that's talking about this very subject we're talking about, he said we should thank the, quote, Christians for keeping our traditions alive. We do far more as pseudo-Christians, particularly at Christmas and Ishtar, Easter, we do far more to keep the pagan traditions alive than the witches do. Why? They don't have the masses behind them that we do. Isn't that sad? How delusional has pseudo-Christendom become? So, if we go back to this article, if the very day of the birth of Jesus is deliberately left out of the Bible, doesn't that fact tell us something? You know, basically to put, you know, 
no day above any other day. If birthdays should be celebrated, why did God leave the date of his own son out of the Holy Scripture? Because he knew it would turn into a big demonized thing that it's turned into today. See, the pagans celebrate Yule, Xmas, December 21st being Yule, the winter solstice falling around the same time. See, this all is based on astrology for the pagans. This whole thing about <clears throat> the Xmas celebrate, and particularly Ishtar, Ishtar, which has to be determined every year through astrology. It's not a fixed date. It has to do with the um, pagan um, holy day of Astara. I believe the Sunday after, their second Sunday, or something like that. You, you can go to my teaching on that to, to know more about that. But so much of this is, is termed through astrology. The winter solstice, which is what they base so many different things on. See, they believe that around this winter solstice and these types of things, that this is the rebirth of the sun god, and the days start to get longer at that point. And that shows them that in their pagan ways of celebrating, the ways that they have supposedly went to their gods, that we've pleased these gods, and now he's going to start to lengthen our days so that we start to slowly come out of winter and ultimately have a spring and ultimately be able to have the harvest. Okay, this is all determined through astrology. It's all based on superstition and paganism. And when you yoke up with this holiday, that's what you're yoking yourself and aligning yourself with. And don't think it won't affect you spiritually. If you lay down with the devil, you're going to get its fleas. So these are things that are very important to think about. I don't think this is a trivial matter. I really don't. <clears throat> So the plain truth is that the birthday celebrations are only mentioned twice in scriptures. Both times in reference to customs being observed by unconverted people. A pagan Egyptian pharaoh and the wicked king Herod. Not a real good example for us to follow then, I would think. Notice what happened in these two instances of birthday celebrations recorded in the word of God. Genesis 40, 20-22 says, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday that he made a feast party unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among the servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Notice, this was a birthday party, nothing less. It was being observed by a pagan Egyptian pharaoh. Not a great example for us to follow, and not a man of God. This was the only example of a clear-cut birthday celebration in the Old Testament. And it was being observed by a pagan king. Hmm. Kind of a red flag there. The origins of birthdays. Um, this fact, however, should not be overly surprising. Writes Linda Randells Lewis in the book Birthdays. Quote, birthdays have been celebrated for thousands of years in early civilizations, where the development of a calendar made an organized reckoning of birthdays possible. The horoscopes of the ruling monarchs, their successors and rivals, had to be cast with care and birthday omens meticulously examined. Ooh, this sounds pretty Christian to me. Nothing like examining omens. For the... Pro for the prospects of the mighty would affect the prospects of the entire society. By the time of Ptolemy V, this practice was well established. Ptolemy, the ever-living and beloved Pita, is that like a pita bread? What, what, what was that? Pita, the beloved of Pita, the son of two brother gods, was born on the fifth day of the month, D-I-O-S, Dios. And this day was, in consequence, the beginning of the great prosperity and happiness of all living men and women. This is a quote from her book from page 12. But Ptolemy V was an ancient Egyptian king. It was common in his day for kings and rulers to have their horoscopes made by astrologers. And their birthdays were considered to be very important omens of the future. See, people that are involved in witchcraft are the most superstitious people that you'll ever be around. Okay, you need to understand that. The false science of astrology, of course, makes a great deal 
out of the positions of the sun, the moon, the stars, at any moment of the day of one's birth. Astrology teaches that the position of the sun, moon, and stars at the moment of one's birth determines their future destiny. So see, you could say, well, yeah, but my birthday is just a fixed date. It doesn't really mean anything. But yes, but do you see how they interweave this into the astro astrology thing? Because it depends on you know, how the stars were aligned and the planets were aligned, and that goes and configures into your fate, your destiny, and all this other stuff. And then it says, they cast horoscopes or birth charts to understand the supposed significance of a person's birthday. All of this is condemned by God in Scripture. You're not supposed to go to the astrologers and those, uh, you know, that are involved in these witchcraft practices. I've done whole sermons on this, where we talked about how astrology is totally forbidden. Now, astronomy, which is the modern day of studying of the stars, I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I even sent out an email this week on a particular ministry called David Reeves Ministry, where this guy is using the stars to prove the glory of the Lord. And, you know, his handiwork in the skies. Okay, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I say, praise the Lord. You know, if you're going to use that, but don't use astrology, you know, because then we get into the occult aspect of it. So, Astrology, as the Word of God plainly shows, is a pagan false science, deception, a fraud, a mythological pseudoscience. God Almighty says to the daughter of Babylon, in Isaiah 40, verse 1, the great pagan religious deception, which has engulfed the world, thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators, stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble, and fire shall burn them, they shall not deliver themselves with the power of the flame. And again, that was um, from Isaiah 47. So, it doesn't look like that God likes astrologers or stargazers or prognosticators too much. Prognosticators um, can also be done through the stars or by actually commu or communicating with what they term as familiar spirits. Or necromancy, where they actually think they're talking to the dead. No, no, they're talking to nothing but a, div, a devil that's, that's um, impersonating somebody that lived at some particular time. That's all they're, all they're doing. The devil eats that stuff up all day long. So if we go further, writes Lewis in her book, Birthdays, quote, birthday celebrations, even at this early stage, were not strictly reserved for great rulers. Society adapts for its communal use those practices of the elite which it admires and can afford. In the 5th century before Christ, the Greek historian Herodias, describing the festivals of their Persians, wrote, It is their custom to honor the birthday above all other days. Wow. The Greek historian Herodotus describing the festivals of their Persians, which, you know, this pagan culture, it is their custom to honor their birthday above all other days. Talk about being self-centered. And on this day they furnish their table in a more plentiful manner than at all other times. So hey, if the pagans are doing it, we need to do it too, right? Well, that's what we do. Pretty much. Have you, ever heard, have you ever heard a teaching on this from a preacher? Now, I'm not saying, I think that I better, because I'm doing it, because I should have probably done this a long time ago. I'm just saying, have you ever heard a teaching on this? Oh, it's a trivial matter, Brother Johnson. Why do you major on minors and minor on majors? You know, all this other stuff. Well, I don't think this is a minor issue. Learn not the way of the heathen. And then it says, they produce... The rich then produce an ox, a horse, a camel, or an ass, roasted whole in an oven. I don't think I would really want a whole camel roasted in an oven. I don't know about you guys. I don't know. I mean, you know, whole roasted camel tonight, honey. That's what we're having. Okay. Maybe with a little Bernays sauce, it tastes fine. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, but, the poor, but the poor only could afford the smaller cattle, you know. Uh, this lady, Lewis, continues by saying, quote, In Egypt, households of the same period, <clears throat> of the same period, birthdays were celebrated similarly. A part of the family budget was set aside to buy birthday garlands and animals for sacrifice. Oh, that's always good. Hey, you know, why don't we sacrifice an animal on it, but really make it pagan? It would be paganly correct. You know? Just as we might plan to spend a certain sum for balloons, party hats, and the ice cream cake. 
That's from pages 12 and 13. Now, here's another thing about Xmas and about birthday celebrations. Isn't it a time that we go out, and not only is it a very, very self-centered thing focusing on one person, but also a time where we go out and we blow a ton of money. I, I read these poor reports of, of these poor merchandising retailing outlets that they're, they're really getting hammered hard this year because the economy and gas prices are so high and the dollar's becoming more and more devalued by the day and that they're just not doing the same brisk business they've done in years past on the whole Xmas season. And that yet they do more business this time of year than any other time of the year by far. In fact, some stores make their whole living off this one time of year. I mean, they, that's, this is when all the gravy comes. And they're really kind of you know, downhearted because they're just not making the money, which is the root of all evil, that they would normally make. And people go, and they go, and they'll go into debt, and they'll beg, borrow, and steal, and they do all so that they can have their Xmas presents. And these are people that could care less about God, or following Him, or Jesus Christ, or whatever. But you know what? They set aside everything. And they'll celebrate birthdays and, and Xmas and all these other things. You know, that's okay to do. Isn't there a problem with that? I mean, if, if you would think if it was something really holy, they'd have a problem with it. But they don't. So doesn't that tell you something? Why do you want to associate yourself with this? So, we go further. This author goes on and says, quote, Among prosperous Greek families, a birth feast, a coming-of-age feast, and feast after death held on the anniversary of the day of the birth, were observed. Feast after death, wow. But otherwise, there were no annual birthday ceremonials. The birthdays of the immortals were ritually acknowledged once a month. I mean, they, they acknowledged them once a month. However, the third day of each month, being sacred to Athena, Ares, and Saturn, for instance, end of quote. Okay, these are just essentially fallen angels that they worshipped as gods. Okay, obviously the gods had no problem having their birthdays celebrated. Okay, but the God of heaven does have a problem with it. The emperors of Rome often went to the extreme in their own birthday celebrations. When the first birthday of Drusilla, the daughter of Caligula, approached, the emperor arranged a party suitable for the infant daughter of the God himself. To celebrate her birthday, two days of horse racing were held, and a ritual slaughter of 300 bears and 500 various beasts in Libya in the amphitheater of Taurus was held. Sounds like something I want to be associated with. You know, hey, let's go slaughter 300 bears and 500 other various and sundry beasts. Good, so why? So our gods will be appeased. So again, when you're celebrating birthdays, you're in good company. And I mean that tongue-in-cheek. Anyway, what does God Almighty say to his people about celebrating such days in honor of one's own self and one's own individual ego? We've already seen the proof that these celebrations were distinctly pagan in origin, but does it make any difference whether we observe birthdays or not? God inspired the prophet Jeremiah to write, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the sign of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are in vain. Let's just go there real quick, and let's finish the rest of this verse, which is kind of interesting. Maybe just coincidental. I don't know. Just call me crazy. Um, okay, so let's just finish the rest of this verse. Um, it says, uh, um, let's say it the Lord, we'll just read it again. Let's say it the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. Okay, this is astrology, these types of things. For the heathen are dismayed at them. Now, realize, Xmas, Ishtar, all these pagan holidays have a lot to do with the signs in heaven, with the winter solstice, with these types of things. Some of them, like Ishtar, are actually determined through astrology. And then it says, For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, and the work of the hands of the workman with the axe, and they deck it with silver... And with the gold, and they fasten it with nails and hammers, that it move not. They are an upright as a palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. So, this sounds like an Xmas tree to me. Okay? You know, you deck it with silver and gold, you cut it the tree out of the forest. Oh, hey! Sounds like what they're doing, you know... All the time, there's people that make their whole living on this. I mean, in, in the town where I'm at, well, hey, it's, it, it's most biblically correct, obviously, for the churches to sell the Christmas trees. 
I mean, isn't that, isn't that the way it should be? I mean, hey, we've so melded up with paganism, and we're so stinking undiscerning, and so greed, so greedy, and so overtaken with delusion, that, and yet we think we're delivered to do these abominations, that we're going to go out and we're going to actually sell Xmas trees during the Christmas season, so we can profit from these things. That's about as good as the, as the church is selling pumpkins on Halloween. You know, to celebrate the highest satanic holiday of the year, Samhain. But hey, that's, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Why don't I just lighten up? You know, I'm just blowing things out of proportion, as usual. So, God expressly commends his people not to follow in the ways, customs, or practices of the heathen pagan nations around them. Obviously, therefore, the word of God does not sanction or approve celebrating birthdays. God is even more explicit. Celebrating birthdays was, was a particularly Egyptian custom. God plainly commands his people after, commands his people, quote, after the doing of the land of Egypt wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, where there I bring you, ye shall not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Leviticus 18.3 God goes on in the same chapter, after listing more of these evil practices of the heathen, to, quote, defile ye not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these nations are defiled. This is something that defiles you, and, and the people around you, participating in it. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. I just wonder when that's going to start happening in New America. Because when you defile the land, particularly through innocent blood, particularly through the, the heinous act of aborticide or abortion, and then you have the sodomites, you know, going around, shoving their, their uh, basically, beliefs down our throat. These are all things that defile the land. The birthday celebrations... Uh, celebrating pagan holidays, these are things that defile the land. And ultimately, God says that the land will vomiteth out her inhabitants. I don't know, I think that's what, you know, we got coming in America, and a lot of other places. And then it says in Leviticus 18, 24-28, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which did not include birthday celebrations. Okay? Uh, I should say, Ye shall keep my statutes and my judgments. End of quote which did not include birthday celebrations. And then it says, uh, again in Leviticus, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any among your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For these, for all these abominations have the man of the land done, which were before you. And the land is defiled, that the land spew not you out also when ye defile it as it spewed out the nations that were before you. End of quote. <clears throat> does this sound strong? Almighty God does not sanction, approve, or endorse any of the pagan customs of the nations of the world. They are an abomination to him. God feels very strongly about this matter. He continues, quote, For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the soul that shall commit them shall be cut off from among the people. Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinance that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs, which were committed before you, that you defile not yourselves therein, I am the Lord your God. So again, this was Leviticus 18. So those who observed the customs of the pagans, including the celebrating of birthdays, as the pagans did, and the Egyptians did, were cut off from among God's people. Now, I'm not saying it's the only thing they were cut off for, but this is included as part of their pagan customs. Okay? Uh, God's God would actually uh, commanded them to be cut off from among God's people, exiled from the nations, or put to death. Most of the customs God mentioned in Leviticus 18 were abominable sexual practices common among the heathen and common among the world around us today. But verse 3 of this chapter, where God specifically says we are not to do after the doings of the land of Egypt, clearly shows the celebrations of birthdays so commonly kept in Egypt was among those prohibited by God Almighty. So let us fear God and keep His commandments, you know, particularly that pertain to sin. Okay? What about the New Testament times? Okay, so even as there is only one example of a birthday celebration in the Old Testament, so the New Testament also gives us one such example of that wicked apostate King Herod. Uh, let's see here. One of the worst butchers who ever lived. Herod was notorious for his wickedness. He was a complete pagan at heart. Notice he celebrated his own birthday and see what happened. 
quote, but when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. The entertainment at his birthday party included a very erotic sexual dance, very likely some type of striptease similar to the so-called Dance of the Seven Veils. At any rate, Herod was transfixed by the gyrations of this young dancer, his wife's daughter. Whereupon, then, this going back to the Bible, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being instructed of her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a char- in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it be given her, and he sent and beheaded John in prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Matthew fourteen six through 12 Here again, at a pagan birthday party, someone was killed. This time, a was a tremendous servant of God. Should Christians celebrate birthdays? Obviously, the answer from the Word of God is a resounding no. Birthdays are an abomination in the sight of God. They are not among the biblical customs. They should be observed among the true people of God. If birthdays should be observed, then why is the Bible silent on the date of the birth of every single servant of God? Including Abraham, Noah, Moses, Samuel, David, the apostles, and most important of all, Jesus Christ himself. In God's sight, the actual time and day of one's birthday are completely unimportant. In fact, in God's sight, as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes in seven one, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Wow. It is interesting how many people actually become depressed when their birthday arrives. It reminds them of how much older they're getting. Their merrymaking and party spirit are so fragile, false, and short-lived. Birthdays are part of Satan's of Satan, the devil's attempt to destroy mankind by causing them to be self-centered, self-conscious, and filled with self-interest and self-congratulations. It's all about self, which is essentially, like we've said in times past, the root of most sin, if not all. The day, so let's talk about the early church. What, what did they do with the birthday celebration? The day of one's birth is totally unimportant. Um... The early church of God understood this fact. This uh, Lewis lady that writes in her book, Birthdays, quote, When the Christian church sought to substitute the authority of a religious hierarchy for the hegemony of the individual ego, birthdays become unwelcome reminders of pagan excess and the degradation assumed in Adam's heritage. Celebrating the self was bad. End of quote. Okay, so the early church you know, had a pretty good grip on this. Now, this is <laughs> this is from a total heretic, okay? Origin of Alexandria, who was one of the main guys that brought us, ultimately, the Sinaiticatus and the Vaticanus Catholic manuscripts, okay? These, uh, in an indirect, or I guess it is a direct way, but essentially, this was one of the chief heretics of Egypt, Okay, Origin of Alexander, Alexander Egypt, okay, in 245 AD, wrote the dissertation on Leviticus. Now, this is a total heretic that knew better. Notice this quote. None of the saints can be found who ever held a feast or a banquet upon his birthday, or rejoiced on the day when his son or daughter was born, but sinners rejoice and make merry on such days. This is a total heretic that knew better. For we find in the Old Testament that Pharaoh king of Egypt celebrated his birthday with a feast, and that Herod in the New Testament did the same. But the saints not only neglect to mark the day of their birth with festivity, but also filled with the Holy Spirit, they curse this day. After the example of Job and Jeremiah and David, you know, where they had talked about, you know, woe unto the day I was born, these types of things, you know, it would be better that I had not been born so that's what the early church thought about this, and this was a heretic reporting on this. For the true Christian, this life is a life of struggle and overcoming. The flesh is weak and prone to sin and lust. The carnal human mind is enmity against God, according to Romans 8.7. We must learn to throttle, subjugate, and subdue the poles of the flesh by the power of God's Spirit, according to Romans 7, 1-25, and Romans 8, 1-14. Therefore, we do not celebrate the day we put on the flesh, on this fleshly tabernacle, but rather the day when we put it off. 
and be clothed upon with a new body, pure and perfect from heaven, according to Romans 8, 22-23. In the meantime, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now, the Christian's attitude toward this. For the true Christian, this life is a life of trials and tests. As David wrote, many are the afflictions of the righteous, according to Psalm 34, 19. The Apostle Paul wrote, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, yet not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. I'm sure that's a verse that most people quote at their birthday parties. I shit, just got a feeling it's probably not happening, but it never know. Second Corinthians four eight through eleven says, "For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh." For Christians, this present mortal life is not an end in and of itself. Our hope is for the coming of Christ and the resurrection. Because we suffer greatly and often in the flesh, we do not glory in the flesh, or in the day of our fleshly birth. It is of no consequence, but we look to the future, not the past, and to the kingdom of God. As Paul wrote, quote, For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, the physical around us, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, meaning they're going to vanish away. But the things which are, which are not seen are eternal. And that was from 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. This present physical life, therefore, is nothing to rejoice about or to focus our hopes on or aspirations on. It is nothing to celebrate. Paul wrote in the very next chapter in 2 Corinthians, quote, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that this mortality might be swallowed up in life. That was from 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13 and 14, quote, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain, and also your faith is in vain. Paul felt so strongly about this fact that he declared um, in verse evidently 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, quote, if, this life, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But our hope is not in this life, Paul went on to say, but now Christ has risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. This entire chapter shows us that the true hope of the Christian is the resurrection of the dead when we shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortality must put on immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52. That is the day that we will celebrate. Not in our physical, not our physical birthdays when we were literally born into a lifetime of struggle, trials, suffering, death, misery, privation, persecution, strife, and pain. Not at all. We look forward to and celebrate the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the dead saints which occur at His coming. Now that's one you're going to celebrate. Okay? As Paul wrote to the Philippians, Yea, quote, quote, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but the loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Not a whole lot of sermons preached on that either. Being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. This was talked about in Philippians 3.8 and 10-11. through 
This was Paul's one ambition when driving desire in life. He declared, Brethren, I count not myself those things which I have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, such as birthdays, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That was in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. This present life is nothing. It is full of pain and suffering. If we follow Christ, then we will suffer as he suffered, leaving us an example in 1 Peter 4.13 and 2.21. But the end result, the eternal reward ahead of us, makes all this worthwhile. During this life, we experience the fellowship of his sufferings. We are at one with him in suffering. That we might become one with him in glory and eternal life. Like I'm telling you, when, when you suffer for God, and you go through dark times... Um, you'll, as a Christian, you should draw closer to him than you've ever been before. And that is talking about, you know, the fellowship of his sufferings. And there's a bond that's, that's created there that does not happen when you're not suffering. Yeah, Doug just got up a good point. He said the 700 Club isn't teaching any of this stuff. You know, we, we need to be making that seed face promise and the whole nine yards and, you know... Buying into all their their stuff, and you know, they have whole sections where it just talks about one testimony after another, where these women, where these men and women, you know, decided that they were going to put all their money into these ministries, and and then they got blessed back, and now they're they're living on Easy Street because of this investment they made in the Seven Hundred Club, and these types of things, and and you know, you you see a lot of this, and and uh, you know, it's uh, it's all about the money. You know, it's all about making money and, the, and these types of things, and it's what you run into, unfortunately. Um, Paul wrote, now going back to this, Paul wrote, Who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned under like unto his glorious body, according to the work working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And again... These verses that we're talking about today here, you rarely, you're not going to hear this on the 700 Club. You're not going to hear this from, from any of the, uh, of the preachers. Typically, they, particularly if they're on TV or any of these types of places. This is things that's going to offend most people. These are things that are not going to be popular. They're not going to make you feel good. Walk out of the church or, or, or turn off the TV on cloud nine. It's just not going to happen. And, um... But it's it's the Word of God. So these are things that we really, you know, we need to look at and we need to deal with and we need to uh, search our own hearts in regard to these matters. So, how much greater this is than celebrating our birthdays of this fragile, temporary, transitory, weak, clay, human existence? Okay? Um, so, then the next section is avoiding pagan birthdays. The, the World Book... Childcraft International says, regarding holidays and birthdays, quote, For thousands of years, people all over the world have thought of birthday as a very special day. Long ago, people believed that on a birthday, a person could be helped by good spirits or even hurt by evil spirits. So when a birthday had, so when a person had a birthday, friends and relatives gathered to protect him or her, and that's how birthday parties began. So again, it's just like anything else. We've talked about Psalm 11, verse 3, where it talks about... Um, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The foundations of the birthday celebrations were pagan, just like the foundations of, of Xmas and Ishtar and all these other holidays other than Thanksgiving. They all have pagan origins. Okay, so, you know, the foundations have been corrupted. If you build on a bad foundation, it doesn't matter what house you put on it. The house is still subject to fall if the foundation's bad. Uh, the idea of putting candles on birthday cakes goes back to the ancient Greece. The, the, now, this is from this book, Childcraft International, the world book. The idea of putting birthday candles on birthday cakes goes back to the ancient Greece. The Greeks worshipped many gods and goddesses. Among them, one was called Artemis. Just another fallen angel they worshipped. Artemis was the god of the moon. The Greeks celebrated her birthday. Uh, the Islamic people will just call this... Uh, well, this is the goddess of the moon. See, they call the god, their god Allah, the moon god, whose also name was Sin. So Artemis evidently was the goddess of the moon. The Greeks celebrated her birthday once each month by bringing special cakes to her temple. 
Wasn't that special? The cakes were round like a full moon. Oh, isn't that funny that we usually have a, a round cake at a birthday celebration? And because the moon glows with the light, the cakes were decorated with lighted candles. See, this is where we get the original celebrations of our pagan things. And, and Xmas and Ishtar are no different. Every single pagan thing that they got through those all have pagan roots. Okay? So this is how we get the, the pagan thing of the round birthday cake with candles. The authority goes on saying, quote, more and more, though people, more and more though, people the world over attach a certain magic to their actual birthday date. We may wear a ring with our birthstone on it for good luck. Which we derive that word luck from Lucifer. And when we blow out the candles on our birthday cake, we are careful to keep that a wished what we wished is secret. Okay? If we tell, of course, our wish won't come true. End of quote. And this is from this book. In other words, if we follow many of the old birthday beliefs, we can pay attention to the meanings of the old-time birth symbols. And if we carry on the old celebrations, we not only... we don't necessarily take them seriously. We do these things mainly for fun, but it is possible that there is something deep inside us that wants to believe. End of quote. Okay, so, why do people say happy birthday to each other, says this authority? Okay, well, according to this authority, they say, quote, for the good wishes of our friends and relatives are supposed to protect us from the evil spirits on your birthday. I guess this is somewhat like Halloween, where they believe the veil between the spirit world is at its thinnest. But in this case, it's for a particular person. So when they say happy birthday, where the the relatives and well-wishers, they're actually trying to protect you from these evil spirits that, I guess, uh, tend to uh, attack you on that particular day. What about birthday thumps, bumps, pinches, and the like? In many parts of the world, it is a tradition to give birthday child pinches, smacks, spanks, thumps, bumps, and punches. Even though they may hurt a little, they are said to be very lucky. Why don't you just have a bowl of Lucky Charms while you're at it? They're magically delicious. Come on. If you're going to celebrate it, celebrate it right. Sorry. Anyway, quote, The reason for birthday spanks is to spank away any evil spirits and to send them scurrying far into the distance. But I remember one time I was at this Pentecostal, just thought of this, I was at this Pentecostal thing, it was this guy, and I don't remember his name, he was something else. And um, he's always talking about being born again. And um, he was going around. It was it was this hyper Pentecostal little gathering he had, and he said that one time God told him there was this big, very obese lady in the crowd, and he said God told him to go up to this woman and punch her in the gut as hard as he could punch her. And he said, God, he says I I can't. I can't imagine going up to this this lady and nailing her in the gut like that. And God said, do it. So he went up to her, and he got a running start. He just nailed her in the gut as hard as he could. And she was so obese and fat, didn't even phase her. It was almost like, is that all you got? You know, that type of thing, you know. And, and I don't know, he said supposedly, you know, she achieved deliverance or whatever that night. This is one of the ways that they laid hands on people. And this was... This is, this stuff happens. I mean, I can't imagine how bad it is now. I've been out of this stuff for a long time. And I never went up and punched nobody. I do remember at that particular thing, that deliverance thing, we were holding this one lady. And I had one arm and, and another guy had another arm. And she was trying to kick us and do all kind of... Evidently, she was demon-possessed. I remember that. I don't know what ultimately became of that. But... Um, I remember that he said that this lady then said that she had to get this big tumor removed and it was in her gut. And she said that they went in there like, I don't know, whether it was the next day or a week later, the doctors did, and they said it was amazing. The whole tumor, which was this like 40-pound tumor, we just scooped out like a big scoop of ice cream. Just came right out. All the tentacles holding the tumor had been severed because he'd punched her in the gut so hard. But that was God's doing. So you see how the Pentecostals get credit. I know that was a major rabbit trail I just went down, but it kind of reminded me of, of this punching and spanking thing to get rid of evil spirits. Um, anyway, so I got all kind of crazy stories from the old Pentecostal days. Um, even though I wasn't in it very long, I maximized my apostate time within that 
mess. So, the reason for birthday spanks is to spank away any evil spirits and send them scurrying far into the distance. Oh, I'm sure that works well. It's kind of like when you wear a costume on Halloween, the, the origin of that is because you're trying to keep the evil spirits that are crossing over the spirit veil because it's at its thinnest, at Samhain, which is, you know, um, Halloween, October 31st, the costumes were originally wore to keep these evil spirits at bay. Okay, kind of keep them in line. Well, this is kind of similar. It says, the punches, thumps, pinches, and harder the harder the better are supposed to do the very same thing on the birthday. And then, the things like party snappers, horns, bursting balloons, firecrackers, and other noisemakers are just one more way of trying to scare off any bad luck spirits that may be hovering around. What about the traditional party games, such as pin the tail on the donkey? The games we play at birthday parties are often the symbol of trying to know the unknown. In this case, of course, the unknown is the future or the new year of life that lies ahead for the birthday child. Quote, one of the oldest birthday games is the pin the tail on the donkey. A large picture of a donkey without a tail is pinned to the wall. Each child at the party is given a donkey's tail made out of paper and a pin to stick through it. Then, one by one, the children are blindfolded. They are spun around a few times and pointed in the general direction of the donkey. The child who wins the pin the tail who wins the tail to the closest where it should be on the donkey, wins the prize. Um, all these customs and traditions connected with the observance of birthdays have to do with the guessing of the future, good wishes for the future, good luck charms against evil spirits, and the like. All the birthday rituals, games, and ceremonies are a form of well-wishing toward the birthday child, which are supposedly to work their magic in the year ahead. But as we have seen, the custom is totally pagan, God condemns it, it's in vain. A custom that we were commanded not to learn, according to Jeremiah 10.2. The ceremonies have nothing to do with the warding off of evil spirits and the protecting of the birthday child. It's nothing more than pagan superstition. Should a Christian have anything to do with ceremonies that trace back to pagan times and pagan rituals? Should a true Christian indulge himself his or her, and her children in the pagan birthday parties just because they seem so attractive, fun, and, quote, innocent? Oh, the devil always tries to present himself as innocent. The word of God thunders, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or the devil? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This is part of coming out of this whole thing. Okay? Wherefore, come out from among her, my children, that ye be not partakers of her plagues. It says that in Revelation as well. See, when you participate in these things, not only does it affect you, your, your thinking processes, it, it, you're, you're being deceived, but it's affecting you spiritually as well. And you're defiling yourself, and you are touching the unclean thing. And, and it's going to affect your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's just going to hinder everything. Um, it says, And I will receive you, and I will be a father, and ye, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18 quote that verse a lot. Let's face it, in God's sight, birthday parties and celebrations are unclean things, abhorrent pagan practices of peoples who know not the true God, or His purpose in their, in their lives. We should, as Christians, have nothing to do whatsoever with them. May God help you to grasp, understand, and obey His truth. Every promise, a compromise that paganism has leads to sin. Every time we reject the word of God, we cut ourselves off from him and his promise. Let us not reject the precious knowledge from God. God warns my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. The, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Okay, so this is very serious stuff. As they increase, so they sin against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people... And they set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and regard them in their doing. Hosea 4, 6-9. through 
Well, what if we didn't know it? Well, it doesn't exclude you from being punished. And if you're listening to this now, you really have no excuse. God considers observing pagan practices and celebrations as nothing less than spiritual whoredom and adultery. God Almighty declares, quote, For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase, because they have left off to take heed of the Lord. End of quote. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. My people ask counsel at their stocks, and their staff declareth unto them, for the spirit of whoredom have caused them to err. And they have gone a-whoring from under their God. The sacrifices and incense, gifts and feastings at birthday parties is nothing more than ancient paganism dressed up in modern day garb and a spirit of whoredom, leading people away from the ways and the laws of the true God and His word. This is just one of the things that the modern day apostate church is doing. One of the many. Okay? And, you know, hey, there, there was a time that, you know, I embrace these things as, as well. And even after becoming a Christian, okay? I'm not saying you just learn all this overnight when you're, when you're saved. But that's why I put these teachings up to hopefully help people break free from these bondages because they're not being preached or taught in the churches at all. Never have I heard a sermon preached on birthdays. Now, I'm not saying there's good preachers up on Sermons Audio or other places that haven't done it. I'm just saying it's so unprevalent, I never saw one. Okay, so if we go further, uh, let's see, this whole matter involves the spirit of whoredom, going the way of the heathen, pagan nations, rites, rituals, as opposed to the ways of God that are clearly set forth in scriptures. Birthday celebrations are clearly pagan in origin, tone, attitude toward the individual, and their emphasis on self and all the very superstitions they're connected with. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. We emphasized in the last teaching how important that truth is. And that's in John 4.24 where he says that. God commands through Elijah his prophet, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 1 Kings 8.21 Whom will you follow? Whom will you serve? Whose customs and traditions and celebrations will you observe to keep? God says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked, for the Lord... Your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and the great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward or bribes. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widows, and loveth the stranger, in giving him food and raiment. End of quote. Deuteronomy 10, uh, 16-20, uh, also ends by saying, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, thou shalt serve him, shall thou serve and to him shall thou cleave, and swear by his name. God says, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil, and, and in that I have commanded thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep, keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land. But if thine heart shall turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I denounce you unto this day, that ye shall surely perish. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. See, when you choose deception, and you choose things that are not in the truth, you're, choose, you're not choosing life. And then it says that that can have an effect on your children. Because even here it says that, that both thou and thy seed may live. It says the same thing in Hosea 4, 6. Where it says, you know, because you have rejected you know, this truth, I will also reject thee and thy children. So, just think about who this may be affecting as well. Uh, then it says that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life in the length of thy days. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20 is what we just read. The choice is crystal clear and the right choice is obvious. What choice are you going to make? This is not just a simple, little, unimportant, trivial matter in the sight of God. Birthday celebrations are not just kids stuff, something that we can excuse as innocent and unimportant, just fun and games. The whole matter of birthdays is much more devious and sinister than that. Truly Satan has deceived the whole world especially in the observance of birthdays. It's one of the most subtle deceptions there is. It really is. And it's probably one of the most hardest to break free from. So, the ultimate question is, what are you going to do about it? 
So with that, I will end the third teaching for today, and we'll go ahead and close us out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. Lord God, all your goodness and your mercy in the name of Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord God, for the times that you've let us live in, Lord God, for the salvation you've so freely offered us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I do pray to God that we would be obedient to you, Lord God, obedient unto death if that is necessary, but knowing that through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the faith that you have given us by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside us, Lord God, we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray to God you would strengthen the faith of every person that is listening to this. Strengthen my own faith, Lord God, in heaven, that you would just use us mightily for thy glory in the days to come, that through the body of Christ, through the people listening to these broadcasts, that you would use us to lead many to the Lord Jesus Christ, for to will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, that you would forgive us of any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, or form, Lord God. And Lord God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. That you would deal, Lord God, with the wicked. Lord God, not that we would pray that they would die and go to hell, but God, you knowing the beginning from the end, I pray, God, that they be judged in this lifetime, that they may have a hope of being and getting saved in the name of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord God, if they will not repent of their wickedness, Lord God, through their judgment, that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God, that they would wisely consider of your doing, and th that the righteous would be glad in the Lord and trust in Him, and all the upright heart would glory, according to I, Psalm 64, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that you would hide us from the secret counsel of the wicked, and from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, that we would be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon this world, and to stand before the Son of Man, that we, that we would all be, Lord God, overcomers, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that we would do whatever is necessary by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, and by the word of our testimony, and the blood of the Lamb, that we would overcome, in the name of Jesus Christ, because we loved our life not under the death. I pray, Lord God, that blessing to be upon every person listening to this broadcast, in the name of Jesus Christ, and only through Thee, Lord God, can we do this. For without You, we are nothing, in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray to God that You would empower us, as only You can. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.